Hello, everyone, and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards, your podcast host for today, and with me, as ever, is my co-host, Barnaby King. Good evening. Good evening, Lord Barnaby, and how are you today? I am well, thank you, and how are you? (laughs) I don't know why I did this voice. Who knows? Yeah. So, this is our final instalment in the 2022 LGBT History Month. Or is it? Is it not? Probably. I mean, it's <laughs> February is going to be over after this. This is, this this is, is the last Wednesday in February. Yes. <laughs> um, and I felt like talking about someone I've had on my mind for a while for LGBT interest purposes. Okay. But I've kind of held back from him for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Well, the first is that this is a really famous person I'm going to talk about. Okay. He's well known. Everything he's done is well known. Uh, but I figured that... Maybe only a few people have just focused on his relationships before, so we can we can get away with it, right. perhaps. Yeah. Um, and the other reason is that in terms of LGBT history, mm-hmm. um, the person I'm going to talk about is possibly the reason why people have an idea about the gay agenda and what it might be, and I think they've based it on this one guy. Okay, right. Um, and that man, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <gasps> That's what the American historians don't want you to know. Exactly. It's all there in the Illuminati scrolls, mm-hmm. which were totally not made up by some Playboy writers. Shush, shush. <laughs> uh, this is actually George Gordon Byron, the sixth Baron Byron. Would he be Lord Byron? Why, yes, he is. Hooray! Lord Byron as in the Romantic Era poet, mm, the so... one who hung out with the Shelleys. Yeah, so apart from... Robbie Burns, probably Mm -hmm. one of the most famous people we've covered. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in some circles more famous than Robbie Burns and in some circles slightly less. Depends on who you're talking to. I, I think I think many people probably at least haven't like have heard the name. Yeah. Oh, sure. And I mean Terry Pratchett, our favorite, has Mm -hmm. referenced him a few times as well. Very true. Um, he appears in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which does. we also reference a whole lot on this podcast. He was the creation of a specific type of hero, the Byronic hero, um, which existed in literature for like 100 years. And yet he wasn't one, which no. is Byronic. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's the inspiration for people like Heathcliff out of Wuthering Heights and all, what, dickheads. all, all those grumpy bastards <laughs> are, the, are this guy, yeah. Yeah, because Heathcliff is a twat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's my hot take on Wuthering Heights. So this is why I was a bit worried about doing Byron for LGBT month, because Mm. he was definitely bisexual. Right. Like, so bisexual. Like, oh my God. Um, But at the same time, he's a right dick about it. Right. Which, you know, sometimes you're like, this guy's problematic. Should I talk about him in a month that is talking about oppressed people Mm, yeah you don't want him to be the sort of exemplar yeah so i'm gonna say straight up this is not the exemplar but it is one of those examples of being like yes bisexuality exists Mm -hmm. and it has existed throughout time you mean you mean bisexual people don't just have two wolves inside them one of them's straight and one of them's gay and then they're fighting for dominance at various points you're saying that it can exist independently 
Yes, definitely. <gasps> Controversial statement. So this is the thing because... Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so Byron was bisexual like way before there was a term for it. Yeah. So there was basically the suggestion for a long time that he was gay. Yeah. But he also had sex with so many women. <laughs> right. So it's like, no. And also he doesn't even seem to have had periods in his life where he's gone for one thing or t'other. Right. Like... You know how we've talked about Burns before, and yeah. if you haven't listened to our podcast on Burns, do so, because my God, what a scoundrel. What a randy bastard. Yeah, Byron is worse. Oh, right. He's worse, more women, and yeah. somehow also a similarly, like, nearly equal number of men. Wow, okay. Yeah. Was he inspired by the Romans or something? Because this sounds like a lot, like a lot of Roman sexuality. He was inspired by the Romans of and course. also the Greeks in a big way. Yeah. Okay, so I'll tell you a little bit about his backstory. Um, he had a really tough childhood, by the way. Okay. Uh, did he have a club foot? Yes, he did have a club he foot. He did. Okay. Or, uh, it was just, it's often described as a club foot. We know he had some kind of disability with his foot. Yeah. But apparently, like. By the time he was in his 30s, the limp that he had from whatever was wrong with his foot wasn't very noticeable. So right. it's kind of hard to say what exactly was wrong with it. And did he have that from birth? Yes. Right. Okay. And it I was thought a he really did. big issue for him. Yeah, I thought he did. I just wanted to check if this is one of those, you know, um, I feel like he's going to be one of these people who has a lot of these sort of like urban myths about him i guess yeah understandable but um basically as far as i can tell about byron he he definitely had some kind of injury with his foot and he was very self-conscious about it yeah and it caused him a lot of problems like later on in his life so this won't come into our storytelling but for instance he found it very hard to take exercise because Mm. he couldn't exercise as much as he wanted to with his foot being the way it was and that meant that he tended to put on weight yeah and he seems to have become like if i was assessing it nowadays basically bulimic as a result oh wow okay like as in he used to binge and purge when it came to food he used to survive for weeks and weeks on just biscuits and white wine and then suddenly have a feast and then purge himself like he was not a well man mentally speaking no which is probably why he couldn't you know own the whole like club foot or whatever because you feel like if he could own it he could go up to people and be like hey hey guy or gal Mm -hmm. you know you see this you see this this leg's the only thing limp about me (laughs) (laughs) yeah no he he was more um his whole deal is like he's very dark and passionate and brooding so the club foot thing is like it's a source of angst right okay it's not going to be something he makes fun of. So it's more like he he's brooding and someone's like, oh, he's so dark and mysterious. What's he thinking? He's thinking, I hate this leg. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and then they go over and they're like, hey, Lord Byron, shall we have sex? And he's like, oh, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so a little bit of story about him. Uh, he was born in 1788 and he was the son of John Mad Jack Byron. Oh, Okay. And Mad Jack's second wife, Catherine Gordon. Um, Catherine, even madder Jack <laughs> Gordon. Oh, no, there's there's even weirder uh, naming things later on, so okay. don't worry. So he, like I said, he had an awful childhood for various reasons, some of which is kind of dark, so I'm not going into it. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm assuming that if his dad's got the nickname Mad Jack, then 
There's got to be something going on there. He never knew his father. Oh, okay. Uh, his mother and father were separated from about 1790. Right. Um, and his father went off to France and died of what's probably TB in 1791. Right, okay. Uh, so his mother's estate, when Mad Jack married her, was originally worth £23,500. But she was forced to sell it and her title in order to pay off her husband's debts. Oh, damn. And then he kept borrowing money off her. So basically throughout Byron's early childhood, she was just getting poorer and poorer. Yeah. But semi-luckily for him, when he was 10, his great uncle, the wicked Lord Byron... <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> died and so ironically he was a lovely man (laughs) he decided to give everything to them oh apparently he was quite naughty um but yeah byron became the sixth baron byron of rochdale the baron byron the baron byron i mean it would make sense why you'd go lord byron instead yeah the baron baron i mean his name his name changed like 10 times during his childhood or something because uh he kept having to take on bits of other people's names in order to get different estates yeah which is why he's also gordon ah right because then he gets his mum's family's side of things too Uh, yeah it's probably better he did that though rather than went with his original name which was barry so he's the baron barry baron And try saying that with a Northern Irish accent. <laughs> I don't know why, but it it just comes out a bit Northern Irish. It does. <laughs> Baron Barry Baron. <laughs> <laughs> so the important bit of his story for us starts between 1801 and 1805, okay. which is when he was sent to Harrow, as in the very posh private boarding school. Right. Um, Not eaten. Oh, oh no. lacking in class. <laughs> well... Harrow seems to have been up to a lot, I will say, although he did actually refuse to return to school in September of 1803. Right. Because he'd fallen in love during the summer holidays. Ah, okay. And at this point, he's like... 1803, so he's 15. He's 15 years old, and his mum cannot get him to go back to school for like three months. Oh, God, he's one of those annoying teenagers, isn't he? Yeah. He's like, I'm so in love, you don't understand me. (laughs) Yeah, he was in love with a woman called Mary Chayworth, who was a neighbour of his, and she was two years older than him. Oh, okay. I was going to say, when you said a neighbour of his, I thought you meant like, you know, uh, a a more matronly figure. No, 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 no. Like, um... I like women over 30. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. She was 17. He was 15. Right. Um, He basically spent three months hanging around her house, and his mum was like, at least come home or something. <laughs> you are just next door. Yeah. You can still pine from your bedroom. <laughs> so eventually her, his mum tries manages to get him back to school yeah. in January. Um, and this is an important time for his development because although he's still kind of in love with Mary Chaworth until mm-hmm. she gets married like the next year. Right. Um, he started to have what he referred to in his letters and diaries as passionate friendships ah, uh, with a number of his friends. Right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Passionate friendships. Passionate so friendships. They were like really good friends and they like, they, they hung out a lot and uh-huh. they, 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 they went, they went on boats together. And, <laughs> Probably. And, uh, it was all very wholesome. 
Yes, it was basically Lord of the Rings. Yes, exactly. Uh, so one of these was... Yeah. And we know that Sam and Frodo are f***ing. <laughs> <laughs> There's the bit at the end where Frodo just like invites Sam to come live with him. Yeah. And he invites him in that really like casual way. Like, so when are you going to come live with me? And Sam's like, um, sorry, I'm getting married. <laughs> I have a wife. Yeah. Oh, you mean the beard? Yes. <laughs> yeah, she can come too. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So good. Rosie has to keep going. No, Sam and Frodo are just good friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, rutting in the background. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think it must be Lord Byron's influence on me. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even got there. I know. We've just got passionate friendships. So, in particular, was John Fitzgibbon, the second Earl of Clare. Um, Byron claimed to love him ad infinitum. And said Aww. later on that he could never hear the word Claire without a murmur of the heart. <laughs> okay. So cute. <laughs> yeah, over dramatic little shit. Oh, yeah, no, he is. <laughs> um, and also for a person called John Thomas Claridge, there are over a dozen letters from Claridge to Byron, which still survive, in the John <laughs> Murray archive. Do you remember John Murray, the publisher from... Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, yeah he's oh, a real person. Oh, yay. I'm glad we already got a second mention of Jonathan Strange oh, and yeah. Mr. Norrell. Last time it was um, Monstrous Regiment. This time, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Oh, yeah. This is going to be Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell heavy. Excellent. Shall um, I throw down some ivy leaves? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really hope at least some of our listeners no know. No one knows what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes for us only. <laughs> So these cover That's how you make a podcast accessible. <laughs> so these letters cover a period from 1808 to 1811 and they strongly hint that Byron exerted a powerful attraction on Claridge and Claridge expresses his love for Byron in unequivocal terms. Oh. So these are kind of like quite physical. Yeah. And it suggests something happened. Yeah. Like, they were at an all-boys boarding school. There is no way. I don't know why, but I've just got this image that the letters from Claridge to Byron are just incomprehensible scrawls. I don't I'm writing this wh- with my left hand. <laughs> oh, no. Back in the box with you. Okay. <laughs> so the following autumn, he went up to Trinity College in Cambridge. And this is where he met a younger choir boy called John Edelston. Okay. And Very Roman of him. God, like, after this point, pretty much all of his male relationships are very Roman in that way. Yeah. And it gets progressively more creepy because he gets older and they do not. (laughs) I love Puer Delicatus because they get old... No, wait, that's not (laughs) They get older (laughs) and I say them. Like some kind of really <laughs> horrific um, picture, picture of Dorian Gray. Gray. Yes. Oh, I'm not even going to correct myself. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote about John Edelson. He has been my almost constant associate since October 1805 when I entered Trinity College. His voice first attracted my attention, his countenance fixed it, and his manners attached me to him forever. Doll. Doll. The uh, little pedo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is pedophilia at this point. Like, I know that I mean, he's a couple of years younger. Yeah, but no, I know. Yeah, I'm yeah. just joking around. There is a letter from him to Edelson of May 1807, mm-hmm. which goes, Dearest, why not? Would this kiss make me yours again forever? Byron. 
Okay. That's the whole letter. Oh, right. Okay. I thought that was like a PS. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Byron, you couldn't have, you know, written a bit more. No, no. I mean, he wrote a lot to other people, but this was the only letter of his to Edelson that survives. Damn. So when there's the convention of Byron's lovers and they're all comparing letters, <laughs> this boy's going to be like, he really didn't care about me, did he? <laughs> yeah. Um. So... From 1809, like after he finished Cambridge, to 1811, he went on a grand tour because right. he's that level of wealthy young man and that's what you do. Yeah. Um, although, because the Napoleonic Wars were on, he had to avoid most of mainland Europe. Yeah, makes sense. Which is like, that sucks if you're going to do your grand tour and the Napoleonic Wars get in the way. Yeah. So as a result of this, he travelled across Spain and the Mediterranean to go to Greece and Turkey. And this really, really influenced his life and his poetry, mm. partly because he was interested in the whole, like, oriental nature of Turkey. Yeah. And partly uh, because he was interested in having homosexual experiences in the East. Um, because at that time, the idea of being gay was still kind of okay in parts of Greece and Turkey. Right. Um, or at least of having homosexual experiences specifically. Right. Okay. Um, he actually wrote about this to his friend Charles Skinner Matthews. So mm-hmm. we do, like, we know for sure this is one of the things he wanted to do. Dear Charles Skinner Matthews, I'm planning on having homosexual relationships in the East <laughs> and some homosexual relations by the back of the bins, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, he also was trying to flee his creditors. Oh, of course. So while he was in Athens, he met a 14-year-old called Niccolo Giraud. Right. With yep. whom he became quite close. Yeah, again, very Roman. And who taught him Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Handy. Um, now, he wrote to his friend John Cam Hobhouse, I am tired of PL and opt C's, the last thing I could be tired of. Right. Now, that was an abbreviation of coitum plenum et optabilum. Okay. In other words, complete intercourse to one's heart's desire. It's from <laughs> Petronius's Satyricon. Right, okay. I am yeah. so tired of the constant sex I'm having. You wouldn't believe it. Oh, my life is so hard. Basically, yeah. yeah. So this definitely strongly suggests that there was a sexual relationship yeah. going on here. And at this point, we go, Byron, just yep. pick him older, for God's sake. <laughs> Um, he then sent Giraud to a school at a monastery in Malta and bequeathed him £7,000 in his will. Wow. Um, which was apparently later cancelled, which <laughs> sucks for Giraud. Yeah, okay. I, I was going to say it would be more surprising if he followed through on that. Yeah. I mean, Byron is still being romantic with ladies at this time as Mm. well so in 1810 while in athens byron wrote a poem called made of athens ere we part uh to a girl called Teresa macri who was 12 oh for god's sake i don't know if anything happened with Teresa aside from writing her love poems Mm. but also you're not in love with a 12 year old byron you're just nuts (sighs) calm down calm down and i don't know just have a cold bath or something uh, but at this point, we get a bit of a tragedy in Byron's life. Okay. Um, because... His penis falls off. <laughs> N- no, that never <laughs> happens. 
Uh, John Edelson died. Oh no! In eighteen eleven, super young. And I think that so some of Byron's biographers reckon that Edelson was kind of the love of Byron's life if he had one. Right. And that's partly because of this letter he wrote to one of his friends, which said. I heard of a death the other day that shocked me more than any of the preceding, of one whom I once loved more than I ever loved a living thing, and one who I believe loved me to the last, yet I had not a tear left for an event which five years ago would have bowed me to the dust. Still, it sets heavy on my heart, and calls back what I wish to forget in memory of many a feverish dream. Ah, yes. But of course, we know that that is... Uh, there's some dramatic license taken there, and the original letter actually said, "'Is bloody dead he is!' <laughs> I'm heartbroken. Why have you Yours, de- Lord Byron. Why have you decided that Byron's got a Yorkshire accent? I thought it would be funny. It's quite good. <laughs> I mean, he started off his life in Scotland, though. Well, it's only slightly further south. I guess so. Like, maybe if we go... If we add up Scotland and London and then divide it by two, we'll end up with Yorkshire. <laughs> you get Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why Scotland has to remain in the Union. <laughs> If Scotland were to leave, then Yorkshire would cease to exist. It's mathematically true, or what can I say? Yeah, the math checks out. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, at this point, of course, he becomes a celebrity. This is when the poetry gets published. Yeah. Um, And he rapidly became the most brilliant star in the dazzling world of Regency London. He was sought after at every society venue, elected to several exclusive clubs, and frequented the most fashionable London drawing rooms. But he's an absolute cad. My God, he is, but isn't he entertaining? I suppose so, but one of the... uh, A poet, an artist, an entertainer in our midst. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but it's all right because he's also a lord. It's not like you're hanging out with that absolute scrofflaw, Keats. Oh, of course. No, he's not a poet. He's a dabbler. He dabbles in poetry. (laughs) He spends most of his time sitting about drinking brandy and generally being important. (laughs) Just like the rest of us. <laughs> Except, of course, he doesn't drink brandy. He only drinks white wine because he thinks that brandy will make him fat. <laughs> really? I don't know, but yeah, he tend like that was the reason why he was like so. He he was obsessed with his weight. Right. Yeah. Um. He also put curl papers in his hair overnight to keep his hair curly. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Because he had a whole look, oh, and he had to I stick see. with it. See, my hair's pretty curly. I just need to let it grow and it does that. <laughs> You're going to like go back in time and like boast at Lord Byron and be like, look at this. What a waste of a use <laughs> of a time machine to go back and one-up Lord Byron. I don't know. It might be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it could be one of those things that's like, um, you know, the idea, like the uh, self-consistency principle, where it's like you can't go back in time and change stuff because you didn't. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's one of those things that could still happen. Yeah. And maybe that's why he became so obsessed with having his hair curly. Why? Right, because you went back in time. Exactly. In the future from now, you yeah. go back in time to Lord Byron and like have a go at him and his hair. Yeah. It's very Terminator. I love it. It's great. <laughs> what a stupid thing to do. I, it's so good though. All right. So um, because he is now famous... He does become known as a cad in a really, really big way. Okay. Uh, he was renowned for his affairs, and I can't talk about all of them because, God, there are so many. Um, oh, right. I thought you were going to say, God, they're so disgusting. <laughs> no, no, no. There are so many. He would be cancelled today. 
I think we'd already <laughs> I mean, have had to cancel him, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it would, he'd turn up on one of those lists of like, why your fave is problematic. Yeah. Which I love those lists, but I also hate them. Yeah. Because everyone's problematic. And some, uh, I've seen some of those lists that are very nitpicky. Yeah, that's true. I mean, obviously some people are, you know, genuinely awful, but... Yeah, th- those lists tend to be... It's, it's like the sort of BuzzFeed sort of articles where it's like you're kind of scraping the bottom of the yeah, barrel here to get those clicks. I get you. They once said this thing which was a little bit off colour. Yeah. Um, in this case, though, like, Byron's 23 and has had a sexual affair with a 14-year-old yeah. Italian boy. So, yeah, no, he's he's already cancelled. Full Kevin Spacey. Uh-huh. So, the most famous one of his affairs that he had at this time was with Lady Caroline Lamb. Okay. Now, just so you know, Caroline Lamb is actually really interesting all by herself. Right. Uh, but she's one of those people who kind of gets sucked into a male poet's... Right, yeah. ...like, circle. She's so. part of his history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, she's also mostly known now for claiming that she was the first person to describe Byron as mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Ooh, that is cool, though. It is cool, though. We don't know <laughs> if she was the first person, but she says she was. And, right. you know, f*** it, I'm going to take it. <laughs> so, she was already married, and she was 26, while Byron was 24. Mm-hmm. Byron seems to like ladies who are two years older than him. He does, and doesn't boys he? who are teenagers. Yeah. Don't know why. Uh, he's got a type. Mm. Well, he's got two types. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Lady Caroline and Lord Byron basically um, publicly decried each other, kept having a go at each other, while in secret they pledged their love. Oh, of course. It's very um, uh, it's Pride very... and Prejudice, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's also very Midsummer Murders. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Byron referred to her as Caro which she adopted as her public nickname. Right. Uh, But then Byron got a bit bored and he broke things off. Right. And her husband took her to Ireland because she was in disgrace. Mm -hmm. And so she kept corresponding with Byron during her exile. But when she returned to London in 1813, Byron made it clear that he did not want to start the relationship again. Oh, damn. And... Lady Caroline did not take this well. Okay. So she kept trying to reunite with him and meet up with him in public. Yeah. And then she started going round to his house. Yeah. Sometimes disguised as a page boy in order to sneak her way in. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Eventually, she dug a hole, pushed him in it, and then dueled with him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, here, here's a brick and a sock. Go. (laughs) And... Now, matters came to a head at a ball which was given in the honour of the Duke of Wellington, which, isn't that incredible? Yeah. Um, Byron publicly insulted Lady Caroline. <gasps> she took a wine glass, yeah. smashed it, oh. and attempted to slash her wrists. Oh, oh God. Like, in front of everybody. Oh, oh no, that's... um. Okay, that's just grim. Yeah, I was. Go- I thought you were going to go with smash a glass and like try and stab him in the face or something. That would have like... been really cool. But no, Lady no, Caroline goes full on mental breakdown point at this oh, point. Damn. Um, it like there's a note from the biographer here that she was un. It's unlikely that she actually had any suicidal intentions, but society was scandalized by this yeah. whole affair. Um. And Byron referred to it 
by saying, Lady Caroline performed the dagger scene. Oh, right. All Macbeth. Mm. Mm. So this relationship shaped a lot of Lady Caroline's later life. She stayed obsessed with him for her whole life. Um, And it also shaped both of their poetry. So they used to mimic each other's poetic styles. Right. And apparently Lady Caroline was so good at mimicking his writing that she was able to do a lot of like pranks with it. Oh. Um, And they also used to embed really obvious messages to each other in their poems. Yeah. So they still kept up this kind of like weird flirty relationship, I guess. Yeah. But apparently Lady Caroline like was really boring to hang out with after this point because she was still really obsessed. Right. And so you, you try and hang out with her and all she wants to talk about is Byron. Yeah. Yeah. So her cousin Harriet visited her in December 1816 and was so fed up with her unrepentant love affair with Byron <laughs> that she ended her description of the visit in a letter she wrote to her sister. I mean my visits to be annual. Oh, which I love as like a subtle burn. Yeah, that's great. Isn't that good? <laughs> if only we could all just sit back. I'm assuming with a glass of white wine in hand, going, "Yes, um, I mean my visits to be annual." Oh, oh. <laughs> hire some some young urchin boys to be outside the window and go, "Oh." <laughs> So, because of the scandal and his constant, constant debt, yeah. Byron decided it was time to get married and settle down. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a solution. It is a solution, <laughs> especially in those days, because constant debt, yeah. you get yourself a wealthy wife, which yeah. incidentally was exactly what his dad did. I, I was going to say, <laughs> very much following in the family tradition. Oh, yeah. So, he married a very clever woman, a mathematician called Annabella Milbank in 1815. Right. And she basically believed that it was her duty to marry him in order to save his soul. Oh, oh, that's a shame. Which is a shame. Ain't gonna work, hon. But luckily, she's also quite a sensible lady. Okay. Um, He had a daughter with her. Yeah. Ada, who later became... Ada Lovelace. Exactly. Yay! Yay! So we can see how come Ada Lovelace became a computer scientist because her mother was a mathematician. Yeah. And like a very practical person. <laughs> and did not like poetry. No, genuinely, there was there was a whole thing she kept discouraging her from doing yeah. any kind of poetry or being in contact <laughs> with literature because she was worried she'd go the same way as her father. Go into STEM, dear. <laughs> so... Tis the family way. But what about dad? Tis the family way, (laughs) Ada. Don't do it, Ada. Don't go to Greece. (laughs) Don't go to Greece. Here, have a calculator. Where the hell did you get this from? (laughs) The future. (laughs) You see, I met this young man with very curly hair. (laughs) It all fits. It all fits. (laughs) Okay, so... There was still ongoing scandal, though, even Mm. without Lady Caroline Lamb. Yeah. Because at this point in time, he had met up with his half-sister, Augusta, who had not really seen for most of his life. Yeah. And she had a daughter around this time, and it was very strongly believed that the daughter was, in fact, his. Yeah. And he was also definitely having ongoing affairs with actresses, I mean... Annabella didn't approve of either of these things. Yeah, although I feel like you kind of... 
you kind of know what you're getting into if you try and marry Lord Byron. Yeah, I guess. But I think she wasn't expecting illegitimate, incestuous, half-daughter kids, you know? I don't know, sounds about right to me. (laughs) She did not know about his homosexual relationships before she got married to him. Right. Which we know because basically Annabella decided that he was mad. Oh, okay. Um, She separated herself from him and basically gave him a pamphlet saying, I think you're suffering from hydrocephalus. Okay. As in like water on the brain. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right? The cure trepanning. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because he had really dark mood swings all the time. Mm. Because he had had such a horrendous childhood and was obsessed with his weight and all of these kinds of things. But she basically went, I think you're actually insane and should take the cure. The cure? Which, you know, is usually go to Bath or something. Oh, I see, right. Um, No, don't tell him to go on holiday. (laughs) You know what he does when he goes on holiday. Oh, that's true. He finds teenage boys. Uh, True. In Bath, though, maybe. Anyways, so at first he refused the separation. Right. But then she said, basically, Byron, I think you're having an affair with your sister. Right. This was not illegal at the time, by the way. Yeah. I think you're having homosexual relationships, which, which was illegal. Was illegal, yes. Um, and I think you're sleeping around with every actress in London. And he was like, "Fine, we're getting a separation." And once again, <laughs> he fled to Europe. Yay! <laughs> Yay! So this time round, the Napoleonic Wars had ended. So he was able to go around Italy and Switzerland, mm-hmm. which is. Super famous, because this is when he stayed with the Shelleys and Polidori um, during the really wet summer. And, and of course, the uh, student of Mr. Norrell, Jonathan Strange. Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is how he created his own magician hero. It was yes. because he based him off his own ideas of himself, not Mr. Strange. No, no, he didn't like Mr. Strange. He wanted to create what a magician should be. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so this was, in reality, this was the famous day that created Frankenstein and the vampire. Right. Um, and also, of course, he was able to have a bunch more mistresses. Hooray! Like, a whole bunch. Some of them were married. A lot of them were married. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, all of them were married. To the same man, the Earl of Bigamy. <laughs> Who had also fled to the continent because <laughs> bigamy was illegal. <laughs> So, by 1823, despite the fact he was hanging out with all the romantic poets, and despite the fact that he was having all of the mistresses, including some pretty tempestuous ones, as far as I can make out, right. uh, he was bored. Oh, okay. Because that's not enough for Byron anymore. No. So he joined the Greek resistance against the Ottoman Empire. Wow, okay. I really don't think he's suitable to this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, apparently not, but this is largely because it was really hard to get the Greeks to agree on anything. Apparently, there were like four different Greek forces against the Ottoman Empire, and they all hated each other. Ah, okay. So (laughs) I thought it was going to be more a case of, Byron, get out of bed. No. No, he was genuinely actually trying. Ah. Uh, he sold his estate at Rochdale for £11,250. And he used his money to pay for a whole brigade. Okay, but I am just imagining, uh, you know in Zoolander, 
yeah. where where Zoolander the model goes back to his like mining town <laughs> yeah. and tries to do coal mining he's yeah. pathetic at it that's all I see oh my god okay I have to find you the picture of him being a Greek resistance hero because okay. it looks like that as well excellent oh my god that is shockingly accurate to being Zoolander <laughs> isn't it I mean, to be fair, he's wearing the costume of the Greek fighting force. Right. But it's very much like when Zoolander's dressed up as a coal miner. Exactly, like, yeah. Still stylish. Super know. stylish. <laughs> he's got a moustache. Yes, he does. <laughs> you can't see his curly hair in this one, though. No. Which, maybe he let his hair down for a bit. He was like, <laughs> let's just cover this up with Greek costume. Um. So, yeah, he... he bought a whole brigade, which was called the Byron Brigade. Of course. It had 30 officers and about 200 men. So it would actually be effective. 200 men and 50 teenage boys. <laughs> well, obviously he was still all about romance. Mm-hmm. He did have one last boy he fell in love with. Right. Um, which was his Greek page, and it's going to take me a while to get the name right. Lucas Kalandritsanos. Lucas mm. Kalandritsanos. Okay. Um, he had fallen madly in love with Lucas. Of course. But his affections went unrequited. <gasps> Lucas oh, was no. having none of it. <laughs> Lucas is like, you're a pervy old man. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Byron was like, this is true, nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Byron was apparently obsessed with him to the extent that he spent... 600 pounds to cater to his every whim over about six months which is the equivalent to about 24,600 pounds in today's money bloody hell yeah and that's without the cost of living increases <laughs> topical topical um and he also wrote his last poems about his passion for lucas yeah but Lucas was genuinely only interested in the money, man. Yeah. And you know what? Good for him. Yeah, fair enough. If you're going to be the object of Byron's obsession, milk it. Yeah. <laughs> and on the 15th of February, 1824, he became ill. Lucas? No, Byron. <gasps> um, and obviously the doctors decided to go for the bloodletting option. Yeah, well, tis tradition. Tis tradition, and that made him even weaker. Of course. Uh, He made a partial recovery, but in April he caught a violent cold. He's getting weaker. What shall we do? Bleed him more! (laughs) He got a cold. Do you want to know what his doctors did? Bleed him? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, At this point, he was completely desiccated. He He had no moisture left. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So he got a fever, and he died... On the 19th of April with his lover who was not interested in him by his side. Yeah. He got a fever, but because he was so dry, he just sweat dust. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Then he was ground down and turned into the first talcum powder. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. Byron flakes. Oh, my God. People would have totally used Byron flakes. Oh, absolutely. They were obsessed with him. Yeah. Okay, so kind of a, I guess, not random end, but... Yeah, it's... It's not it's not as romantic as the rest of his life. It's It really sucks because he had several attempts at actually having a battle. Yeah. But each of them just fell apart and he never got to fight in a battle as far as I can work <laughs> out. Um, he was, like, 
they literally were like, okay, it's going to happen. And then it's like, no, it's not going to happen. And so he just dies of a cold. He could have had an awesome, <laughs> an awesome death in battle, which would have been super romantic. But instead, no. Could have turned out he was a really good soldier. He just happened to look like Derek Zoolander. He could have been. I mean, I guess the thing is that really, if you're going in romantic styles, then dying of some illness actually follows on from a lot of the romantical, yeah. like... Uh, middle ages heroes yeah that does make sense so it's fine he's basically being like the black prince who died of what that awful diarrhea disease dysentery yeah that's it (laughs) could have been worse yeah could have died of dysentery Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4, and you can suggest any episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. <laughs> Bye! <laughs>